0: Hi, I'm Youssef Hassan and you're listening to Africa Aware, a podcast from the Chatham House Africa programme. Welcome back to Africa Aware. This episode will focus on the upcoming Africa EU Summit. These summits have been taking place since a precursor of the African Union, the Organisation of African Unity, met with the European Union in Cairo in 2001. At that conference, the Cairo Declaration and the Africa-EU Partnership were established, a formal political channel through which the two continents could functionally work together. The second summit took place in Lisbon in 2007 and saw the adoption of the Joint Africa-EU Strategy, which confirmed the basic objectives of this partnership. Ever since, the summit has taken place every three years, alternating between Africa and Europe to take stock in implementing commitments and providing political guidance to the work being done between the two continents. The fifth summit took place in Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire, and due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the sixth summit, which was initially scheduled for November 2020, has been postponed until now, taking place on the 17th and 18th of February in Brussels. Whilst the summit is seen as a key moment for reinvigorating the relationship between the two continents, some commentators, including Africa Programme Associate Fellow, Professor Carlos Lopez, has stated that the summit risks producing nothing more than a grand declaration of intent that have little substance. To discuss this, I was lucky to be joined by experts who provided their perspectives on prospects ahead of the summit. I was joined by Fatim Agad, who provided her expert insights on the priorities for African states, whilst Gert Laporte provided his expert insights on priorities for European states. And let's begin with Fatim. Fatin Agad is a Senior Advisor on Climate Diplomacy and Geopolitics at the African Climate Foundation and is a former Senior Advisor to the AU High Representative on AU-EU Relations. Thank you so much for joining us today, Fatin, and welcome to Africa Aware.
1: Thank you. Thanks to you for the invitation.
0: Now, with the Africa-EU Summit due to take place in a couple of days, could you provide our audience with an overview of the overarching priorities for African states at this summit?
1: As you know, collectively, the European Union is one of the main partners for the African continent, and that's the case on many fronts. And so a regular exchange on the relationship is needed. That's at least, I would say, the political diplomatic objective of this upcoming summit. Now, substantively, the expectations on the African side, that say, focus on finding solutions to or at least discussing both immediate concerns and longer-term structural issues. On the short-term issues, as you know, the two continents have not been seeing eye-to-eye on the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. The the different decisions by the EU and its member states, be it on hoarding vaccines, uh, not supporting a multilateral solution to allow temporary access to patents at the level of the WTO, or more recently to close its borders to several southern African countries, have increased tensions as we know. And, and why the EU signaled that it would dedicate 20 million euros to help boost vaccine Fin and finish capacity in general. The challenge is how to address immediate challenges such as access to vaccine, recognition of vaccines, mobility of Africans. So those are, are some of the immediate issues that would be on the table. Now, for African countries, there are of course medium to long term issues that they would also like to discuss, chief of which is the role of the partnership with Europe in addressing major questions such as the climate transition, where where Europe is seen to be Drifting away, I would say, from some of the Paris principles such as common differentiated responsibilities or neglecting the special circumstances of African countries. And so the question is whether the EU will be able to play a constructive role beyond imposing solutions. And, and so that's the question I think that African leaders would want answers to. And I think that's also related to a broader issue in the partnership. Which is whether it can successfully beyond summiteering, whether it can successfully provide real solutions, resources, and investments, and whether it can be a real space for both partners to be heard. So I think that's that's really what Africans will be watching for.
0: Quite a lot of priorities, as you outlined. <laughs> Following on from the continental free trade area under which African countries began trading in January 2021. It marked a significant milestone for Africa's integration journey, but from a trade perspective, but also ensuring that the regional economic communities could begin working together more effectively. What do you believe the prospects are for somewhat of a continent-to-continent agreement with the AFCFTA centre to that?
1: The AFCFTA is is indeed a significant milestone. And even more so with the confirmation that the AU summit that concluded recently that eighty seven percent of the rules of origin tariff lines have been concluded and that negotiations of the remaining protocols are on track, I think that at this moment the focus for most African countries is is really to effectively implement the CFTA. It's only when I think that solid base is built that African countries can realistically and meaningfully engage with other uh, regions on on other negotiations, including the continent-to-continent agreement with the EU. I believe that opening such discussion prematurely, so on on a continent-to-continent agreement, is even currently being pushed by some would, I think, be disastrous for the CFTA. I think the EU particularly does not have a flattering history, I would say, of trade negotiations with Africa. And so starting now would particularly jeopardise the CFTA. So I think the best way for African countries to be in a strong negotiating position is to have a well-oiled intra-African trade arrangements first. So I expect that countries will will be waiting a little longer.
0: And actually, to continue on the topic of trade and economic partnership of sorts. Sub Saharan Africa, there are currently under 15 countries implementing economic partnerships, with other countries benefiting from unilateral schemes. However, as we're discussing the Africa EU relationship, some may argue that these EPAs, existing partnerships, are augmenting Africa. What are your thoughts on this area? And of course, I'm sure it will be on the agenda, of the summit itself.
1: I've often heard EU officials speak of their support to CFTA, but they would always add with the EPA as a basis, which I always found a, a rather strange pitch. Uh, and I think the, the economic partnership agreements, because of their design, seek to fragment. So, for example by creating different arrangements including different agreements on rules of origins for instance that limits opportunities for what we call accumulation that would in turn then limit prospects for development of of value chains outside let's say static which is the region the, the only region that signed this epa and so if you look at at the cfta it does the opposite the cfta would not for instance, limit the rules of, uh, limit accumulation, for instance, to Cologne. Like you, you, you can have a product partially made in Ghana or partially in Rwanda, partially in South Africa, and that would be that would be okay. And so there is a serious, I think, compatibility issue that can't be resolved just by relabeling, as we see now. So fundamentally, yes, the EPAs are fragmenting the continent and they go, I think, in, a, in, a, in the opposite direction even of the CFTA.
0: Continuing on the topic of partnerships and actually you know, a globalised world of sorts, the EU has a forced launch recently, its new Global Gateway Initiative. What do you believe the prospects are for this? And you know, how will the EU approach somewhat compare with other global powers engaging with Africa? For example, China with the Belt Road Initiative and the Forum of China-Africa Corporation, of course, took place just a couple of months ago.
1: I think the announcement of the global gateway is in itself positive. And what I mean by that is that it's an indication that the EU wants to be seen to be playing a role on issues that are so critical for the African continent, uh, such as infrastructure. I think that's a starting point. However, the question is whether the EU will be able to match that ambition with real resources. And from what we have seen so far, and in light of the difficulties uh, that the European Commission is facing in really mobilizing funding from its member states under the umbrella of, of what it calls Team Europe, I think there will be little additionality, meaning there will be little new money for the Global Gateway to really represent a meaningful, I wouldn't say alternative, but a a meaningful complementary initiative to, for instance, the Belt and Road Initiative. And I think the EU wanted to set an ambition uh, by announcing the Global Gateway, but I find that talk without means is is actually a dangerous strategy that might just uh, backfire.
0: Most definitely. And actually, to follow up slightly on that question, you mentioned the Belt Road Initiative and I as well, of course. You also have Russian engagement. You also have the American method of aging with the African continent, which has differed over the last couple of decades with different. Yeah. There seems to be a summit every month, whether it be <laughs> Korea, whether it be Japan, whether it be Russia, whether it be Turkey, that's a place, of course, in December, FOLCAC as well. You know, how does African agency fit into this? Do you see what I mean?
1: That's a really, really critical question. I think what we're seeing now is that we're in the midst of of major geopolitical shifts. And I think even for some of our partnerships where some people may feel we're sitting comfortably, (laughs) I think even there, there will be shifts, including in the relationship with China. And so I think in, in terms of the question that you're raising on agency, I think it becomes even more critical for African countries to proactively uh, shape those relations. I think we've moved quite some way, uh, largely thanks to a a change of generations, I would argue, particularly among technical people. But I think there's still more to do in terms of strengthening, for instance, our foresight capabilities to avoid the situation whereby we are reacting to changes and actually start being an actor in shaping them. I think we also need to recognise that the continent has a great potential. I think certainly considering the mega trends that we see in terms of uh, population growth, in terms of uh, renewable energy capabilities. And so the continent does have a lot to offer. And I think we need to seize the opportunity really to exercise that agency that, that you're talking about. And to do that meaningfully, I think that we Really need to change our mindset and start seeing the potential that others see in us and, and have then the courage to make the difficult decisions required to transform that potential into something a bit more, more tangible. But it is time, I think, for this, this agency to be assumed a bit more forcefully.
0: Coming towards an end of our conversation, I think the words that you've just used, which is moving from potential to tangible, is something that we have also been incredibly engaged in, in the sense that the Africa program is uniquely positioned in its ability to convene policymakers across both geographical areas. And in these conversations, in these webinars, in these events, we constantly hear terms like partnership and increasing equality. And of course, most recently, Charles Michel, the president of the European Council, mentioned alliance and an Africa-EU alliance. What do you believe the necessary factors are for these to move from rhetoric to holistic policy that can be implemented?
1: There are indeed many adjectives that people use to qualify the partnership. I mean, the term alliance, for instance, that Jean-Michel uses, is an interesting one because I think it, it challenges African countries, or it gives the impression that that African countries should align with one party or or another party in this broader geopolitical game that we were talking about, uh, which I do not find a particularly wise move. And so the onus, I think, is really on, on African countries to, first and foremost, have a collective positioning towards these partnerships. I think for a long time we've been talking about acting as a collective the continent has been able to do it in some situations, but I think in when it comes to partnerships, there is still some way to go. And so I think if we are to get to, to a stage of this equal partnerships that that serve primarily the African interests, as other, you know, be it the EU or China, but mainly focused on serving their own interests, it would be important, really, for for the continent to work a bit more closely as as a block. Uh, so I think, to me, that is that is a, a major requirement if we're to reach that equal equal relationship. And as I said, really realizing the potential of the continent and and for some of our leaders to have the courage to take uh, consequential decisions to really tap into that potential, both in terms of policy be it in terms of reshuffling a bit uh, areas of focus. But there's there's still quite a bit to be done there.
0: Most definitely. Thank you so much for your time today, Fatan. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and hearing your position on priorities for African states ahead of the EU Africa Summit. Thank you for joining us on Africa Aware.
1: Thank you very much to you.
0: Gert Laporte is a director of the European Think Tanks Group, the ETTG, a network of leading European think tanks with 350 policy researchers working on EU international cooperation for global sustainable development. He's also a senior executive at the European Centre for Development Policy Management, the ECDPM.
2: Thank you so much for joining us here on Africa. Where today, Gert? It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much, Yusuf. Uh, absolutely a pleasure to, to be here with you and with Chatham House. You know, with the Africa-EU summit due
0: to take place in a couple of days, could you provide an overview of the priorities for the EU and its member states at this summit?
2: Yes, I think uh, the European Union is putting forward a number of priorities. And the first priority is, I think, that they would like to impress their African partner with a major uh, programme of economic development and investment. Uh, it refers very much to the Global Gateway Uh, Europe would, to some extent, copy uh, China with its Belt and Road initiatives. In Europe, uh, we call this the Global Gateway Investment Package. And uh, there, uh, the European Union is putting a strong emphasis on uh, infrastructure, transport, connectivity, uh, energy, very important these days, uh, green transformation, digital sectors, So this is a package that Europe is presenting to the world and to Africa in particular. It's a package of some 300 billion euros up to the year 2027. But people who are following these debates sometimes put question marks and they say, look, in fact, this is a kind of smart recycling of funds that were already promised earlier. So we will have to see whether this is fresh money, whether this will convince the African side. So that's one priority. Uh, A second priority is definitely uh, the security challenges. Uh, Security challenges in many places in Africa these days, uh, Ethiopia, Horn of Africa, Sudan as well in that region, but definitely the Sahel. Uh, The Sahel is really giving uh, the EU a headache, uh, particularly a country like France, that had uh, and still has uh, troops in Mali, but that is seeing or confronted more and more with certain uh, negative reactions amongst the populations against uh, the French. And we also see that some of the military regimes that have taken over in Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea, uh, and other places in West Africa that these military regimes are looking for other allies and this is particularly the case with Mali where alliances are being made these days with the mercenaries of the Wagner group which is very closely linked to to Russia so security will be a big big challenge uh, fighting terrorism for the European Union absolute priority as well in this summit and then thirdly migration issue. It has been there for a long time. It's still there. Europe has a very clear agenda. It wants to prevent irregular migration. It wants to tackle together with Africa the smuggling and the trafficking. It wants to put a lot of emphasis on readmission and return of uh, refugees. And there the African side might be a bit frustrated. I could well imagine that the labor mobility, the legal pathways for Africans to get into Europe might not be given the same attention as uh, the border management issues. And then last point that I would like to mention, uh, where Europe is always uh, putting a lot of emphasis on, is the joint cooperation between Europe and Africa in the multilateral system, in the UN system, on agendas like uh, the climate agenda, Uh, Agenda 2030, SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, uh, anything that relates to uh, global public goods there, the European Union hopes that Africa would be an ally in uh, these global fora. I think that's a bit the European agenda. And of course, we will have to see whether these match with the African uh, priorities and African aspirations. And this is an issue where... The African side might be a little bit less inclined to follow the same uh, type of agenda. There is some scepticism in Africa on some of the priorities that the European Union is putting forward. Also because the implications of European proposals, for example, on uh, green transformation, on digital, are not yet fully understood and analyzed on the African side. But we can come back to that uh, maybe later on.
0: And actually, to provide some more of a, I don't know if this is historical, but a prior piece or a publication from the EU setting out their plans. In early 2020, the EU set out a joint communication titled towards a comprehensive strategy with Africa. And this promised a move towards partnership based on mutual and respective interests. The question I have for you is how much has and will the COVID-19 pandemic cause a divergence away from the initial plans set out in this document?
2: Yes, that's indeed in terms of timing. This was the wrong timing. I remember that we were in Addis Ababa organising with African think tanks and and European think tanks a kind of uh, reflection around the 10th of March 2020. and, And just a few days later, we went into lockdown in uh, the world, and uh, the EU communication was issued, if I recall well, on the 9th of March 2020. So, the day that it came out, it was already out of touch with the new reality, eh? the new reality being the pandemic one of the dimensions that was hardly covered in this European strategy with Africa. Yeah, the Europeans had stressed very much the digital agendas, the green transformation, the energy agendas, but nobody was really talking about uh, pandemics, was talking about health. And I think that because of the, the COVID uh, crisis, the momentum of this uh, European communication or this European strategy with Africa got lost because there was a momentum in March 2020. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen, as uh, president of the European Commission, used her first week in office in uh, at the end of 2019 to travel to uh, Addis Ababa, to the African Union. It was her first official travel. Charles Michel, as president of the council, also had traveled to, to the African Union. So the symbolic gestures by the Europeans at that moment were really, look, Africa matters to us. And then we've seen that there was almost for two years a standstill in this relationship with a postponed summit, uh, postponed from October 2020 to the new dates now, next week, 17, 18 February 2022. But that's a long period that there was hardly any interaction between both continents. And I think this really affected the partnership. And then, of course, you could say the way the pandemic has been handled by the European side also uh, caused uh, some type of irritation on the African side. Uh, I think the Europeans have clearly stressed several times that nobody was safe until everybody was safe. But at the end of the day, Europe was really Uh, thinking most of all to get everyone vaccinated on the European continent and not once, twice, but even three times and even more now. While in Africa, there was not that much uh, happening in terms of vaccination. And then we had, of course, the Omicron uh, story at the end of last year when the European Union was extremely fast in imposing a travel ban to the Southern African region much faster than it was in spreading and disseminating uh, vaccines uh, to Africa. And so Europe is now trying to correct all this, and it's correct that it has uh, stepped up its efforts of bringing more vaccines to Africa, that it also has stepped up efforts to finance the the, the COVAX facility with billions of euros. But I think that for many Africans, this must have been perceived as uh, too little too late, So it definitely has damaged the trust in the partnership. Moving on to the current state of play, of course, the
0: French presidency of the EU coincides with the summit, and you've mentioned France already. President Macron made it clear that the relationship between um, the two geographical areas needed a complete overhaul due to it becoming, to quote him, slightly tired. Do you believe this fatigue that President Macron highlights is shared across the so-called Brussels bubble?
2: Well, I think the fatigue is not openly recognized, definitely not in the public settings, uh, because there, there's always this this enthusiastic story. Uh, look, uh, we are going towards a totally different type of partnership and the complete overhaul, as Macron called it, but also Borrell, Ursula von der Leyen, Michel, they, they always use uh, very uh, strong language uh, to express to the world and to Africa how much Africa matters to Europe and how important this partnership is. But my feeling is that this story is not working that well anymore. Particularly France has major problems these days to convince younger generations in Africa that they really are looking for a complete overhaul of their France-Afrique policies, as we would call it. Uh, France-Afrique, the relationship between the French government and African elites in the Francophone countries in Africa is still very strong. And these elites, as we all know, they are not the most democratic leaders in Central Africa and in West Africa. These elites eat out of the hands of France and the vested interest, economic interest, political interest between France and their uh, former colonies is still very strong. And more and more we see that there is amongst the younger generations, but also as we have seen recently now in Mali with the militaries uh, who have uh, seized power, that people are a bit fed up with that relationship based on vested interests. When we had the death of the, the president of, of Chad, Idris Déby, a few months ago, and when uh, Macron was immediately traveling to Chad, this has uh, really given a wrong uh, impression to many Africans. They immediately felt that this was not the, the right signal if you want to talk about a complete overhaul and a new type of relationship. So I think that France should really start an inward-looking process at all levels within uh, the French uh, government and French uh, society. And I think that Macron has some good intentions, but the system and the many, many decades of colonial and post-colonial relations are still very strong. And I think uh, there, there is some work to be done. And actually, to bring in an African perspective, his counterpart, the
0: chair of the African Union, His Excellency Macky Sal, highlighted the importance in his communications for Africa at this summit, including finance, the access to COVID vaccines, investment in infrastructure, support for the private sector, peace and governance. And he expressed the confidence that Europe and Africa will be able to build together on a win-win basis. The question I have for you is are African states likely to be disappointed by the result of the summit or do you believe the EU will commit to action across the vast majority of these areas
2: Yes I think Macky Sall of course has no other role to play than a role where he stresses in quite a positive uh, mood that uh, he wants to to carry on with this partnership and and the loyalty between Senegal and France is of course very well known So, what he says is fully uh, legitimate. I think there's definitely uh, work to be done in many respects Uh, COVID vaccines, infrastructure, private sector development, uh, peace, governance. Nobody will disagree with all this. But I think what is uh, lacking is a concrete overview of positive change in practice. We see the declarations, we read lots of declarations in all these summits but we do not always see appropriate action taking place and maybe the proposal to have an European Union African Union ministerial follow-up committee will put more pressure on both sides in the partnership to follow up on their commitments and to see whether things can really be realized in practice but Honestly, I'm not sure whether this will happen because essentially this is a partnership that is still very much based on old style. I would almost call it North-South cooperation eh, with one party that brings in money and the other party that needs to behave in return for the money that the European side is offering and as long as that relationship of dependency continues, I think that it will be very difficult to, to change uh, some of the practices that we, that we have come across and that we know for, for quite a few decades. So um, actions speak louder than words. Let's see where we get after this summit in terms of follow-up. But I'm not convinced that it will uh, be that positive.
0: And actually, to bring a point that you mentioned earlier regarding the EU's new Global Gateway Initiative, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on what the prospects are for this. And actually, how will the EU approach compare to some of the other global powers' engagement with Africa? An example being, of course, the Belt and Road Initiative by China, Russian engagement on the continent is, of course, wide. You have the Turkey-Africa Summit that took place in December. There are various fora for discussion between
2: you know, global powers and, and, and bilateral relations to be strengthened. How will the EU's approach differ? Yes, I think one of the errors that the EU is making, in my view, is that they are copying what others are good at and what others are doing Reasonably well, the Belt and Road Initiative, what China is doing, seems to be appreciated in in many countries. Of course, uh, there's also criticism uh, that it has created a, a major debt burden and so on and so on. But basically. What Europe is trying to do with the Global Gateway Investment Package is a kind of copying of what China and others are also doing in Africa, Uh, putting a lot of emphasis on uh, transport, infrastructure, energy, transformation of the economies, green transformation, digital agendas. There's nothing wrong with that, but what I miss is the unique selling point of Europe, where Europe could put more emphasis on but it is of course a very delicate topic and that's the governance topic. Uh, Governance is totally left out in this summit because we know that it is a very sensitive and, and difficult topic to deal with because there's lots of double standards, lots of incoherences if Europe brings this up in the dialogue with Africa. But at the same time we see that those younger generations are dreaming of more democratic societies, that they are really willing to see a change of power in in many of these countries, that they really want uh, societies that are much more transparent, more democratic, uh, and so on. And I think that the European Union, in that respect, if it were dealing with Africa in a consistent manner, that it has something to offer. The European model is a model that is based on Dialogue that is based also on uh, social equity as much as possible. It's also under pressure these days in Europe. Democracy is also under pressure in a number of EU member states. But still, I think that the European Union has there a comparative advantage over China, Turkey, and a whole range of other players in Africa, not to mention Russia. So, this is something that, that the Europeans should use more. But in a consistent manner, eh? let's be very clear, if you don't do this in a consistent manner and you use double standards in treating uh, African uh, and dealing with African leaders, then, of course, you will have a a major problem. And if you don't recognize that you also have problems at home, you also are not able to, to convey a credible story to the African side. But I think there we could do better, we could invest more, and make sure that this agenda is not neglected, making sure that we have all types of uh, uh, mechanisms that also try to grasp the new dynamics in Africa. And there's a lot of new dynamics amongst the younger generations, high expectations. Are we, with these summits, reaching out to these generations? Are we reaching out to those startups in economic and digital sectors? Are we reaching out to all types of human rights organizations who are doing remarkable work, sometimes in the most difficult conditions? I'm not sure whether the European Union is uh, capturing these dynamics well.
0: Really, really interesting answer there. And I I think you are completely right. The unique selling point of the EU seems to be absent in much of what is currently being proposed. And actually, to to come towards somewhat of an end. The Africa program at Chatham House is uniquely positioned in its ability to convene policymakers from across both geographical areas. We constantly hear terms like partnership, and increasing equality, and most recently Charles Michel mentioned that there was a need for an Africa-EU alliance. It would be interesting to hear your perspective on the necessary factors for this to move from rhetoric to holistic policy that can actually be implemented.
2: Yes, maybe let me try to put a few proposals on the table in that uh, in that respect. I think, first of all, we should avoid only talking and bringing good news shows. Uh, big words at a certain moment may sound very hollow. Um, I think it's important that we carefully look at where in each of the priority areas of the partnership where the European and the African agendas match and where the agendas diverge. And we should discuss this very openly. And this is hardly done in these summits. I think you need to prepare this with think tanks and their Chatham House and others can really make a useful contribution. You need to look at what are the issues, for example, on the trade chapter, or on the migration chapter where is it that there is a match of the agendas where are the divergences and let's negotiate let's make sure that the policymakers at the certain moment start negotiations and also make concessions concessions on issues that matter to the other part and that brings me to my second point in africa there is a perception that europe never has made concessions on issues that really matter to africa And I think this is mainly related to the north-south relationship that we still have. One party bringing in money and the other party at the receiving end. This is never going to lead to a balanced type of partnership. It is absolutely unthinkable that institutions that are sometimes funded by the donor community will be taken seriously by these same donors when they have to defend the interests of their continent. And I think there, the African side could do more to break with these chains of dependency on aid from the European Union by investing more in domestic resource mobilization, mobilizing matching funds when there are joint initiatives, for example, on peace uh, corps and initiatives, make sure that the African side is also bringing in their resources in the initiatives that are jointly undertaken. That would totally change the relationship. It would break the chains of what I would call a dependency relationship. And that is absolutely needed. But this is difficult because aid has created vested interests. It has created strong vested interests with elites in Africa and business interests in Europe. And so this is going to be uh, needing a lot of visionary leadership on both sides to break with that type of relationship. And then thirdly, what I said already, I think the capturing of the positive dynamics beyond central governments, eh, the the non-state actors, the private uh, entrepreneurs, uh, small and medium entrepreneurs, young people who are really the future of the African continent and with the galloping demography, jobs will be needed. These are the dynamic forces of society. We should much more reach out to these key players through exchange programs, not necessarily with big funding. Small subsidies can make a big difference, but this requires much more investment in understanding the dynamics that are going on, that are taking place in Africa beyond the heads of state, beyond these central governments. And then lastly, I think uh, we need to have adequate follow-up mechanisms. Uh, Once you have these summits, everyone immediately falls asleep again for the next three years. And then we come back when there is a next summit. Next time it will be in Africa. And then everyone wakes up again two weeks before the summit. Uh, I don't think that this is the right way of dealing with this partnership. So we should make sure that this is a partnership that continues also in between the summits.
0: Thank you so much for those incredible responses to my questions. I'm sure our audience will be deeply appreciative of your insights. It's a pleasure to have hosted you in Africa, and thank you
2: so much. With uh, pleasure, Yusuf.
0: And that brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Please do subscribe to us on the platform you've been listening to us on, as it will help others find the podcast easier. Thanks for listening to Africa, where I've been your host, Yusuf Hassan. Goodbye.